Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. Welcome back to another bonus episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice. With me, as always, is Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you doing today, sir? I'm over the coronavirus, Ian. I'm over it. You done? I'm done. Let's put it in the rearview mirror. Ah, it's wishful thinking, I think. I think we still got a little bit to go. I know. I just, uh, as we're recording this reading where the mayor of L.A. said basically there won't be any sporting events or concerts the rest of the year. I just want some live music. I hate to sound selfish. <laughs> no, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I've seen, you know, as the days and uh, weeks progress, you know, more and more artists trying to get, uh, you know, creative in, in ways to kind of sustain themselves. Uh, like today, for example, I saw uh, Oliver and Chris Wood from the Wood Brothers are doing um, – you can either get a like a, they'll fil- they'll film a little shout out video for you whether you do it to yourself or you can send it to a friend or they'll do like a ten minute Zoom hang they were calling it you know through that app or they'll actually do a, you know a lesson or something like that but they they had since taken down the lessons because they said they got overwhelmed with lesson requests so they had to slow it down but you know I see a lot of artists doing very similar things you know yeah as we record this I'm I'm supposed to be at Wilco like tonight tonight would yeah have been Wilco, I think huh? I was like fifteenth row dead center. Uh, so in my head, I'm at Wilco, but yeah, I'm getting, I mean, I'm getting kind of tired of watching like the Instagram live stuff and everything. It's, I mean, it's cool and I support them and I, I've helped artists out and, and, you know, we'll continue to do that. But, uh, I mean, I'm just ready for the real deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure Wilco will reschedule that date. Yeah. It's, it's rescheduled. I mean, they, they come around here, um, a good bit anyway, but you know why that is? Why? Ready? Why? Because Wilco will love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I actually like that song. I do. I love that album. That's actually a, a, a very underrated album of theirs. That's I about, think it's called Wilco the Album. Right? Yeah, it it's is. Wilco that, the Album and Wilco the Song. That's about the time I kind of started like seriously checking out on them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and... Uh, I like some of A Ghost Is Born. I think that live album, Kicking Television, is one of the best live albums. That's one of my favorite live albums of all time. I, I just, I'm okay with artists changing, and obviously they're nowhere near the band they started out as. No, you no. Know, just personnel and stylistically and everything. But to me, like the last couple albums have just gotten so monotonous it seems like it's the same tempo and you know all the songs kind of sound the same i feel like jeff tweedy's not really singing anymore it's only him and john starrett from the original lineup right Mm -hmm. yeah but this lineup has been together since like 2004 you know it's obvious you know the the longest running lineup they've ever had but i don't know i'm you know i'll go see them whenever they come around because i love you know that early stuff and some of the mid stuff. There were some songs on Wilco the album I liked, but uh, that I guess the next one was the one that had uh, "Art of Almost" on it as opener. I love that song, but you get past that now these days, and I don't I don't listen to much of their new stuff anymore. 
I mean, have you heard their their latest record? The Ode to Joy. Yeah, I listened to it when it came through because so many people were raving about it. And I listened to it and just, I don't know. It just didn't do anything for me. No, you didn't like it. I enjoyed it. And I, like Star Wars and um, Schmilko, it kind of like, you know, was like kind of middle of the road for me. I didn't like hate them or anything. Well, but Star it, Wars know, has it's moments for sure. Yeah, I mean, they all they all have moments, but I really liked Ode to Joy. And I wasn't, you know, given the reception that I had, you know, for the two albums prior, I wasn't even expecting all that much from Ode to Joy. But, you know, I have all their albums. I really like, actually, one of their albums I went back to that I didn't deal with that all that much of the time was uh, Sky Blue Sky, which really is nice. Yeah, it's got some, it's got some interesting layers on it. Those songs, I think, sounded better live. The same with The Ghost is Born. I think those sound those songs breathe more live. But yeah, Sky Blue Sky had some had some really good stuff on there. You Are My Face, uh, Impossible Germany, um, mm. Walking, Side with the Seeds. Yeah, that was a good album. Walking, I like that tune, man. Yeah. It's funny because like, you know, I would play the the albums when they would come out in uh you know, in the car with my wife. And you know, my wife is it's not that my wife doesn't like music, but she's not like She's not like folks like ourselves that take it right. very seriously at times, you know. And uh, she really liked Wilco the album. Like, you know, it's, it's so surprising to me. Yeah, I, yeah, the, the song is great. Wilco the song. I mean, it's just so so tongue in cheek, and yeah, it, it's just I, I can't believe they did it, and that was like the lead single. So, anything else uh, new release wise catching you fancy these days? Man, I am I am wearing that new Pearl Jam out. Oh yeah, I haven't um, even gotten around to it yet. I really, really like it a lot. It just gets better and better the more I listen to it. I think there's like 12, 11 or 12 songs on there. I would say six of them are really, really strong. Three of them are strong, and then there's a couple that are weak. But it's gonna for me, it's going to be my favorite album of theirs since the Avocado album. I really like that album. And then Yield before that, I really liked a lot. Um, it's growing on me. And then um, the new Brian Fallon album. Uh, who was the lead singer of Gaslight Anthem? It's called Local Honey. There's not a bad song. It's only eight songs on it. But there's not a uh, there's not a bad song in it at all. So here we are, another another bonus episode, trying to keep the content going, right? Yeah, yeah. I think people are enjoying them. I hope so. I mean, the last one we did with uh, with J.B. Strauss, I really hope people uh, enjoy that and uh, checked out his uh, his his uh, EP there because uh, you know we really came to like that quite a bit. Yeah, we did. Super nice guy. Hope uh, hope the best for him, and hope he gets to go on tour with Mark. He's a he's a real good guy, and he kind of got uh, like most musicians. But I mean, he's just starting out. He kind of got raw deal. Dealt, yeah, he kind of got dealt a bad hand there because he was just about to go out on this thing that probably would have get him a lot of exposure, and now he's sidelining it for a little while. Yeah, uh, I think he's gonna be fine. He's a talented yeah. kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice guy. I mean, very genuine. I, that's what I got from him, you know. So today, you and I decided to do our uh, top five albums of all time. Now, just as a uh, caveat here, we ha- we have excluded anything Black Crows related because then it would just be five Black Crows albums or something, you know. Yeah, this one, um, this one wasn't that hard. I uh, I have probably about ten albums that at any time. I could rotate in and out of my top five, so yeah. I just basically did a snapshot of my mind on that particular day, and those are the yeah. ones I went with. Yeah, that's pretty much you know where I'm at too. Like this is 
you come to me in a month, this might be uh, a little different. But uh, I mean, everybody, it's no secret. I've said it on the podcast uh, when we did the episode that nobody listens to that my favorite album of all time is uh, The Ceaseless Sight by Rich Robinson. And, uh, you know, people are quite aware that Southern Harmony is your top. So we're going to move away from that and uh, discuss some of our others. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll start the proceeding, shall I? Okay. So the first on my list is no particular order, by the way. First one I have is uh, Tom Petty's Wildflower. love this record i've loved it since the day it came out i have so many life memories associated with listening to this record with you know friends of mine and and just you know over time and it never it never gets old to me in fact it gets it almost gets better i noticed i it to me always a mark of a good record is you can listen to it a billion times and you're still pulling out elements on it like oh i never heard that before oh i never noticed that before you know it's just a great album. I, I, I'm reasonably certain you're a fan of this one too, right? Yeah, and I agree with you. It's like a fine wine. It just gets better with age. I was in college when this came out, and I remember, I think my sister got this for me for Christmas on CD. At the time, I don't think I appreciated how good it was because mm. that was coming off of a Into the Great Wide Open. I didn't fully, fully uh, appreciate this album for a long time. I remember being kind of enamored with that song on a higher place the, yeah. the, on the back end of it. Uh, and then time to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it was like five or six years ago when I just really got into petty hardcore. I was like, you know, like everybody else, Tom Petty has probably 40 hits you've heard of on the radio. Oh yeah. But really? I, I read his book and really just got into him a lot more and, Went saw him in concert. I saw him on that tour right before he died. Uh, and this one, I've always kind of gravitated though to Echo. I've always it's so dark, and I think it's some of his best work he's ever done. Reaching back, going back to Wildflowers, and man, I didn't appreciate this at the time it came out. I mean, it is a it is a classic in American music. Yeah, no, I mean, and at the time, like I, I've been in the same boat as you. I mean, I might have gotten onto it like. You know, slightly later than, you know, since it was like first, first released. I think, it you know, I don't think I heard it till, you know, some midway through like 95. You know, it came out the tail end of 94. And it's just, it, it, I kind of, 
went away from it for a little while. I, I always thought to myself, like, well, why does he bother putting solo records out when they, you know, they're kind of just like Heartbreakers records, really? But that one is the reason why he puts out solo records. It's a very different statement, very different sound, very, very. It's like an open wound sometimes. You know what I mean? It's very, very raw. And uh, you know, I kind of left it for a little while, but I, I then I heard uh, "It's Good to Be King," and I, I got so sucked in by that song again, and it kind of brought me back to the album. I, I think that guy, uh, Steve Ferrone, the um, Stan Lynch's replacement, ultimately, uh, is a fantastic drummer. Well, Petty says he's the best musician that's ever been in the band. Yeah, I'm the guy's a powerhouse, and I didn't know for years that he's he's uh, an English guy. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, he he is he is great. He adds a lot uh, to them. I mean, go watch that. Um, I think it's their thirtieth anniversary concert or whatever live in Gainesville, mm. and uh, you just see how good of a drummer he is. And just they are they were a well oiled machine. They were, but I mean, honestly, Wildflowers would not have been wholly possible um, if he wasn't the drummer on it. Because right. I don't see, I don't see anyone else, but particularly like if they had used Stan Lynch on it, it's just it's not his style. Right, and uh, you know, a great album. It will never. The sad thing is, well, amongst many other sad things surrounding this, but at the time, Petty died. They they had just said like shortly before that that they were, you know, he he personally was putting together like a two disc reissue of this, like with all the stuff that didn't make it, and you know, I was kind of salivating for that, and it seems to have gone by the wayside, and. In the, in the wake of the other posthumous stuff they put out. So maybe one day they'll see the light of day. They need to reissue it on vinyl, for sure. They do, because this thing goes for like upwards of like 500 you know? Yeah. And the only way it saw a reissue lately is there's a box set that it's in. And you, that, you can get it that way. But the box set's pricey. But, you know, people are also wise to that. Right. They buy the box set, pull it out, and sell it individually, you know? Right. I wouldn't so. sell it. I wouldn't either. I would cherish that. I came very close to buying one because uh, there was a guy that had like 40 of them. And I said, though, this seems a little too good to be true. And they were actually, they were unofficial copies. So I couldn't really vouch for how good the sound quality would be. Right. And I, I decided to pass on it just because I, I didn't want to have it just for the sake of it. I want an actual nice copy, you know. Probably a smart move. Yeah. But, uh, so that's, that's one for me. But uh, next one on my list is... Uh, we kind of touched on this band at the top of the show, but uh, is uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. I don't think I've ever been as obsessed with a record as I was with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot to the point where I listen to it like incessantly. I I listen to it on headphones. I listen to it in the car. Like any different perspective I could get on it, I I bought the 
the documentary film that goes with it, the I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, that, that the black and white film. You know, I just, I love this record. It's so unique. And it's, it's, it really was my introduction to Wilco. So I didn't understand that everything that came before it was vastly different than this, you know, and how Jeff Tweedy was influenced by Jim O'Rourke and, you know, all that ambient kind of sound stuff and all that. And uh, it's just a great record. I, you had mentioned, I think, or just before you, you were a fan of this one, right? I became a fan of this kicking and screaming. I was <laughs> so disappointed when this came out because Summer Teeth is my favorite Wilco album. And when I when they first started out when I was in college, they would play around a lot. And uh, matter of fact, um, they were a fixture kind of in the Oxford music scene. And so, um, and that was always one Uncle Tupelo's favorite places to play. And so, uh, we just always kind of had a little bit of a connection to them. But I loved Summer Teeth. It's just such to me. It's a it's the perfect hybrid of where they were mm. versus where they went to. But, you know, there's so much folklore surrounding this album. If you have not watched the documentary, I'm trying to break your heart, go watch it. It's one of the most interesting and fascinating rock docs you're ever going to oh. find. Like we can't even put into an episode, all the stuff that went behind this album, how they, you know, they recorded these hundred versions of some of these songs and they just break them all down and, and put them back together and how they sold the, the, the record labor didn't want them gave them the masters and they get into a bidding, a bidding war and wound up the company want the same company, a subsidiary of them winds up buying the rights to the album. They gave it away for free on the internet. I mean, there's just so much about it, but the album was such a departure and they kind of went into some of the art rock territory that they were going to go to uh, with some of their other albums. And some of it at the time I thought was very pretentious, like, um, Oh, I am trying to break your heart. I thought that song was very pretentious. I was like, they're just trying to sound experimental, trying to sound different. And I just kind of shelved it for a while. And so I didn't listen to it. And I was like, they're, they're not a band I enjoy anymore. And then they came around again on the Ghost is Born tour. And I went to see them and was completely, completely blown away by them in concert. And went back and said, I'm going to have to have some honest ears and listen to this. And... Mm-hmm and just fell in love with it as an album. And uh, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart is probably my favorite Wilco song now, and I thought it was so pretentious. Songs like Camera, Ashes of American Flags. They also did a uh, another documentary called Ashes of American Flags. It's a concert. Yes. Uh, it's really, really good. gives you a lot of insight into the band. And, and you know, and right after uh, they recorded this, they picked up Pat Sansone, and uh, he's really added a lot to the band. And he... I, he ironically literally grew up a couple of houses down from my wife. Uh, really? And when I first started dating her, uh, I was I was telling her, my future father-in-law, you know, uh, uh, y'all know Pat Santone. He was like, oh, I'm good friends with his dad. He lived, you know, right down the street. And my, my wife's uh, mother taught him in high school. And so uh, he got me an autographed CD uh, from them for uh, cool. Christmas. But yeah, it, it's a cool album cover. There's just so much about it to like. And it this is like a great example of a grower. You, you, it really it, is. There's so many there's so many little subtle layers and textures to it that you can't listen to it once and make any kind of you probably can't listen to it ten times and make a judgment on it. You just no. have to let it grow with you. And it and once you understand how brilliant of an album it is, you're gonna fall in love with it. 
lyrically I, I got and I'm not a, I'm not a huge lyrics guy. I mean, I like lyrics. I appreciate good lyrics, but I always get caught up listening to, you know, the, the music end Same of it. And, you know, and then this is one one album that I really, you know, like I would like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the fallen leaves filling up shopping bags. Right. You know, it's just like things like that. I said, oh, that's such a it's so cool. And it's it's poetic in a way without being stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, it's hard to explain. Like, uh, I just I just find so many of the lyrics on that. And then watching the documentary, I mean, ultimately, it's. It tore the band apart. It was it, Jay Bennett ultimately ended up leaving because of uh, essentially the str- straw that broke the camel's back was an argument they had on a mix for, you know, a sieg in between a heavy metal drummer and uh, and one of the other tracks. You know, yeah, and sadly that's kind of the last visual document of Jay Bennett we really had, and you saw also uh, an old band become a new band again with with new people and you saw how I, one of my favorite scenes on it so they were going to play for the first time in a while and jay bennett was still in the band and jay was writing out the set list and he was wanting to do casino queen and box full of letters and tweety was like no i don't want to do all that stuff i want to do the new stuff and um you, you just see kind of the the nerves all the, around all of that and then tweety was battling those migraines like he throws up on camera uh, yeah, you know the drug addiction and stuff like that. It's just it's it's a top five rock documentary for me. Yeah, it's it, and it's much like the album itself. It's very layered. Like the first time you watch that documentary, you might not pick up on all the the subtext going on in it, but it's really it's really a document of a band like changing and evolving for and sure. What's involved in that? I mean, it's just cool all over. But uh, yeah, so then I ultimately went back and listened to the stuff prior and. I love that too, but I mean, you're right about Summer Teeth. That Summer Teeth is a record, though, that I didn't like until more recently. Not that I didn't like it, but that I didn't that didn't click with me until more recently. It's a pop know? record. It, it really, really is. is. It's a pop record. That's a fantastic record too. A uh, Via Chicago. That man. Have you ever seen them? Have you ever seen Wilco live? Unfortunately, no. Wilco uh, Via Chicago is like it's just amazing live. They add so much stuff to it and. You know that, that's a beautiful song with some very disturbing, very disturbing lyrics. But then you had like every little thing, or ELT, I think is what they call it. And uh, I'm always in love, and she's a jar, and can't stand it. Shot in the arm. Uh, yeah. The all the song was it? Go to sleep, my darling. Uh, it's called my darling, I think. But yeah, that if if you're not familiar with Wilco, go get Summer Teeth, and then go get Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and you can see like the big change that happened between those two albums. It's funny you mentioned uh, I'm Always in Love. There's actually a scene in I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, the documentary, where they perform right. I'm Always in Love live in the studio. And I always loved that vis- version so much better. I like the way uh, – what's his name? Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Koch, right? Yeah. Um, the drummer, uh, he's fantastic, that guy. He really brought a lot to the band too. You know, Not, not to take anything away, anything away from Ken Coomer, but he really added a, a, a much more – all-encompassing element to his drumming that was really you know he was a lot more experimental with a lot of things too i agree all right so moving forward the next album i had on my list and i have maintained that this is their best album since i first got into the band and i will maintain it till the day i die that is fair warning by van Halen.
I I love this record I, on so many levels. I mean, not only are some of their biggest classics on here like Unchained and uh, So This Is Love, but there's just some. This is a dark record, and it's it's you don't expect darker theme stuff from Van Halen, who's you know predominantly Calif- Southern California's party band. You know what I mean? And and off on the heels of Women and Children First, which is essentially like David Lee Roth's album. A lot of it had to do with, in my opinion, Dave's lyrics and Dave's personality. That's what really shone through uh, on that album. And then I think Ed had just about enough of that. So, um, you know, I remember reading articles that, you know, they would record stuff and and then Ed would come back at night on his own and erase stuff and and put down the things that he wanted to put down, you know, with uh, with like Don Landy and stuff, you know, just just getting it down because he, he wanted it to go a certain direction. I think it's it's a masterpiece of a record. It really is, is haunting in a lot of ways. It's, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great record. I don't know. What's, what's your feeling on this? I'm an above average Van Halen fan. I'm certainly not like a, they're certainly not like a top five band for me. And I've seen them four or five times. This is one of the ones I feel like if you're a diehard Van Halen fan, you kind of have to say, this is your favorite one to like prove your street cred you know, <laughs> with, with, with the Van Halen people. There are parts of it I really like. Hear About It Later is maybe my favorite Roth era song. I think yes. that, that intro of it is so cool. And on this, the last time that I saw them, they played it live, which they hadn't played mm-hmm. it forever. I really like it. And then it's it's got Unchained on it, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, Unchained. And then what was the first two? Like Mean Streets and Dirty Movies? Uh, yep. Stuff like and, that. Uh, Center, Center Swing. Center Swing, but... The back half of the album is where it just really falls off for me. I, I mean, my favorite Roth era Van Halen album is Van Halen 2. And then I would say Van Halen 1 and then 84 and then this and then Diver Down. It's just cover songs and junk. But uh, no, this this definitely was, it was them trying something new. And, you know, lyrics, I think, have always been a problem for Eddie Van Halen because he didn't like the lyrics Sammy was writing toward the end mm-hmm. of Van Halen, especially on like humans being. And uh, I even read a story where apparently don't tell me what love can do had different lyrics and was going to have an entirely different meaning. It was supposed to be an uplifting song. So that's it, something that Eddie's always had a problem. seems like he's always had a problem with, uh, but this, but this is a total departure for them. And I applaud them for doing it. And just like that back half of it, it, it ruins, it ruins the front half for me. Cause I think it just really goes downhill. I mean, you're absolutely right about, you know, people saying that this is their favorite one to, you know, keep their image up amongst Van Halen fans. But no, it's genuinely, this was always my favorite one. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Hear About It Later. That's actually my favorite Van Halen song of all time, uh, of the David Lee Roth era. And uh, you mentioned my other favorite, uh, Humans Being, from the Sammy era. So, Well, that's my but, favorite uh, Sammy song, so. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, But yeah, I always like this. There's, there's just things about it that I, I really really like i even like you know because you're, you're talking about the, the the back half of the album i it maybe not as much at the time but i've come to really like push comes to shove which is the the, the reggae kind of tinged track and i even like uh, one foot out the door you know because it was kind of an add-on to the end they kind of recorded it with you know the joke being they had one foot out the door when they were recording it but i don't know i always thought that i can understand how it's not appealing to certain people because it's it's very out of character and it's not full of it's it's not designed to produce hits you know what i mean and i'm surprised that radio has latched onto as many songs as they have from it you know i guess just because it's been around forever right 
All right, so moving on on my list, I uh, my next one I have is is by an artist I'm sure many many people have a favorite record from, but I I don't honestly necessarily know where this record stands amongst you know fans of of Neil Young, but I have Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon, from the second I listened to it as a kid, my my father had it, and I I you know I borrowed it from him, and I just there's something about this record, something about the track Harvest Moon itself. You f- it, like when I listen to that song, especially if it's at night or something like that, like I really feel like I'm out in a field looking up at the stars, and you know, I and mean, it's 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 very emotive, and um, I I didn't know this till later, but it, it's you know it, it was intended to be kind of a companion piece to Harvest itself. But uh, I just, you know, there's there's such great stuff on it. I always like when Neil goes acoustic, you know, and and uh, you know, there's songs like you know, you and me, and from Hank to Hendrix, and just a lot of great stuff on it. I, is this a is this an album that kind of? My, my dad had this album, and when I was in high school, he played it all the time. And I <laughs> honestly think like Harvest Moon was some kind of song for him and my mom, because uh, she even my mom doesn't care about music like that and she knew it, it, it got, the song harvest moon got played all the time and it, does this have unknown legend on it yes all right that's the opening track yeah yeah that's one of that's one of his best songs and there's an amazing version by shovels and rope you can listen to it on spotify yeah this was really a really good album it's coming off of kind of his this was kind of coming off that gr- heavy grunge period for him wasn't mm. it? yeah and so uh yeah this was kind of harking back to like the harvest era you know early 70s neil young after the gold rush type stuff uh, i thought it was a i thought it was a really strong one and um i think it gets overlooked sometimes as do i think some of his later works because the earlier works are just such gargantuans in the you know amongst music fans but yeah harvest moon and unknown legend stick out to me as two of my favorite neil young tracks yeah man i mean when i went to see i saw neil young finally because, uh, you know, for years I just had missed him, you know. And I saw him on the Monsanto Years Tour when he was touring with uh, The Promise of the Real, Lucas Nelson, The Promise of the Real, was his backing band, and they had done that record. And first of all, when I saw them, uh, you know, it's like midsummer, you know, at Jones Beach, which was an outdoor amphitheater-type place. And uh, he, they basically played that entire record that night, every track off the new record. And people were so annoyed that he was doing that, like uh, – you know, I, people were walking out, and, you know, because they were because he opened with after the gold rush. So I guess they figured they were in for the night of the hits. But uh, one of the one of the other tracks that wasn't on the album that he broke out was Unknown Legend, and I was like in seventh heaven. 
you know, and there's people around like, you know, making faces and, uh, you know, whatever. And I, 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 I was so, I felt so lucky to hear that song live, you know? I think he does a disservice though to his fans in concert. He has so many songs to choose from. I mean, so many. And there's part of me that really, really likes Neil Young a lot, a lot, a lot of his music. And then part of it I th- doesn't. And sometimes when I look at his set list, like, he had so many different eras. I mean, what's he probably have 30 full-length albums at I least? I would guess so, yeah. And he has so much to choose from. And I respect the fact that he doesn't want to play the same set list every night. But I think he can. I think he could put more of the classics in than what he does. He could. The thing I always kind of understood about Neil Young, and I guess maybe I just picked up on this, and and it was okay with me, and it's it's probably not okay with some other people, but is like when he has new material out, he's real into it. Yeah, and that's what he wants to play, and he's just playing. To me, like I always looked at it with him as like, well, he's going to play this material, and he's so into it, like. That's great because he's really putting everything into it. Whereas, like, knowing how he feels about playing old stuff, like, you know, the whole concert, you know, I would feel like he would be more phoning it in if he was doing some of the old stuff. Like, I don't know, for some reason, with Neil Young, I can, I just accept that that's how he is. I mean, if you know that going in, then that's, you know, if, you, if, if that's what you want to hear, then, you know, you're buying a ticket knowing, you, knowing what you're going to get. I would think most people know that by now, though. You I mean, think- it's like, it was like people – if you don't know by now that when you go see Bob Dylan, he he really seriously alters a lot of the arrangements on the songs, then you know, you're know you a fool to yourself because it, it, that's – you know people have been talking about that for years. Right. It's like I went to see Roger Waters on his last tour and he had a bunch of anti-Trump stuff on it and people in the crowd started booing. And I'm like, what 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 you expect? Yeah. It's like when uh, Neil Young toured, but he toured with Crosby, Stills, and Nash – on the uh, Living With War album, and it was a lot of anti-Bush stuff, and it's like, it's David Crosby. Did you not right. think he would be anti-Bush? You know what I mean? Like, what were you expecting? Yeah. It's silly sometimes what people don't realize, you know? Right. I mean, I, I guess I feel bad. I guess you're, if you're out for a night of music, maybe you don't want, uh, you know, such uh, political messages in your things or all that, but it is what it is. Right. I always see the argument, too, that people say, oh, well, they owe us this because we paid. No, they owe you a show. They don't owe you a specific kind of show. You know, I really, agree. That was always, I agree. That was always my standpoint. It's like you paid your money to see – like a lot of people used to complain about John Mellencamp more recently, getting maybe a little on his soapbox in, in concert. And I would always say like, well, you paid to see John Mellencamp. You didn't pay to see John Mellencamp plays this and this and this and shuts his mouth and doesn't say anything you don't like. Like – Right. You just you pay to see that guy and this is what he's doing. So right. you know. Agreed. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But the uh the last record on my list, uh just to wrap up my top five here. When we shared lists beforehand, I this is one you said you had not listened to. I don't know if you had the chance haven't to haven't had the chance, uh. That's okay. <laughs> I'll just cry quietly as I go to sleep later that you didn't, you know. Listen to my record, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, Nick Drake's Brighter Later.
a lot of crows fans know about nick drake because of his influence on rich robinson that's kind of how i got introduced to nick drake that and i had a friend of mine that's uh uh you know still a touring musician to this day uh and he uh, you know many years ago gave me the three records you know that he had out that he put out during his lifetime now he's since had a couple of posthumous things out too but this was his second record and it's really has a lot of members of the fairport convention on it and uh you know, it's very. It's like, it has a lot of orchestral sections on it. It's really just a sweet record, and there's a lot of. This is a guy that really deserved a lot more than he got during his lifetime, and it's it's a very sad story of Nick Drake, and I encourage anybody to uh, research that a little bit and read about it because it's not something you can really sum up shortly. So, but uh, I mean, this is a beautiful record. There's such great songs on here. Um, just just great tunes, start to finish, and uh, nice. I mean, it's folky. If you don't like kind of gentle singing and and uh, folk guitar kind of thing at the at the heart of everything, it's not going to be for you. But this is one I always come back to and always kind of brings a smile to my face. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to it. But uh, from what I've heard of him, I don't think he's necessarily somebody I would gravitate to. Uh, I know I know he's got he's kind of a, a weird story about him and you know how he died and but in his uh, from what I've heard listen to knowing how much rich likes you can definitely hear it in a lot of a lot of rich's later stuff the thing that nick drake did that really i think was influential on rich was that he plays in a lot of odd tunings like not just your standard like open g's and stuff he goes for a lot of like really really non-conventional tunings and it's like a master of it i mean he's, he's a brilliant player brilliant uh songwriter you know some people think differently but uh, you know it's it's a shame because of the way the way he died i mean he was mentally ill essentially and um you know had he been living in these times there would have been a lot more appropriate medications available to him and he might have seen a better existence and it's really a shame yeah because he had very little success yeah very little i mean i think he sold somewhere between five and ten thousand records in his lifetime of three albums that he released and they kind of the guy – they were released on Island Records and uh, uh, I believe his name is Chris Blackwell that runs ran Island Records at the time. Basically released the records because he liked them you know, and he liked Nick and that was – you know, because he was very reluctant to promote them by performing because he was so introverted and shy. And, and he wouldn't do any interviews. Yeah. I mean it's very – I think there's very, very rare audio documentation available of his actual voice and him saying things and not singing, you know. But anyway, so that's my top five, David. But you have a very interesting top five that I'm very interested to talk about. So let's move on to yours. All right. So as with Ian, no particular order here. Uh, I'm going to start off with Purple Rain by Prince.
like six years old i like really got into music like big time i would listen to like the top 40 and and stuff like that and i had like a you know big big radio and i would lay and listen to stuff and so one of my dad's this guy that my dad knew worked at a radio station and i didn't i mean i I, obviously six years old there's no way i can know it but like the rick d's top 40 they would put on vinyl and ship to the radio stations to play Right, and so he would give my dad those vinyls after they played them, and so I would have all this top forty stuff. Well, in my young head, I didn't realize people put out albums. I just thought they put out songs. Right. So um, fast forward a year or two, and I was it was really cool. Like the the class I was in, a lot of us like wound up being like really big music fans, and so. People would bring cassettes to school and you'd listen to them on resets and stuff like that. Like Van Halen's 1984 was going around. The Footloose soundtrack was going around, stuff like that. And I had heard Let's Go Crazy. And I guess I I don't know if I mentioned it to my mother or what, but like I got it for like Christmas and it blew my mind that there was a whole album. And I'm like, you mean people do more than just one song? You know? (laughs) And so at an early age, like I started learning to like, embrace an album and, and this album was just so far ahead of its time and prince had already played a couple of different styles of music those first couple albums were like soul and funk based and then 1999 came out it was more rock based and this one kind of has a good mixture of it but purple rain may be my favorite song of all time and then you had let's go crazy you had when duff's cry you had kind of the infamous darling nikki uh, Computer Blue, Take Me With You, The Beautiful Ones. It just, this album has just never left me. Uh, no matter what I'm listening to, I can always go back to Purple Rain. You know, when Prince died, it was kind of a kick in the, kick in the teeth a little bit because I think he was so, he was so talented and could play anything. And just go watch that thing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's on stage oh. with Steve Winwood, Steve Ferrone is drumming, Danny Harrison, Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty. And at one point, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn are literally looking over there like, I can't believe he's doing this. <laughs> and he lays down just a solo of all solos and throws the guitar up in there and walks off stage. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. But you could tell from watching that that he he's so into music. Like, he wasn't, I mean, he's Prince, so he kind of does things in a flashy nature, but he wasn't doing it to show off. He was into it, you know? I firmly believe if Dave Mustaine called him and said, here's five Megadeth songs, I need you to come on stage and play them a week, he could play them. Oh, yeah. He's he's so much more versatile than maybe people realize. And I mean, from my understanding, I'm a big uh, Kevin Smith fan. 
And Kevin Smith used to do – still does them, but he re- released a couple on DVD. Like uh, he would have speaking engagements. So in one of those, he, he described how Prince asked him to do a documentary on a particular album he was making at the time. So he spent a lot of time at Paisley Park and things like mm-hmm. that. And he said that Prince has this vault of material, just records and records, unreleased stuff he's recorded because his entire house is wired for sound. So you can record anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, if he's, you know, as Kevin Smith put it, theoretically, if he's in the bathroom, he can write a song and record right. it, you know. But I mean, it's just that's how prolific he was. Like he has so much material and probably I would venture to guess a lot of his best stuff never saw the light of day. I was always hoping he had one more just straight up guitar rock album. Name. And, I, and I'm sure you can probably pull one from the vault. Um, oh, yeah. If you try. I'm surprised they haven't released more in since his death. I, I think they're being kind of smart with it. To be like holding it you. back, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Prince Purple Rain, uh, never get tired of it. Um, another one that just never left my CD player. Back in the days when you had like the six disc changer in your car, right. when I was in high school. Dirt by Allison Chains came out. I was not the biggest fan of Facelift. To be honest, at that time, I was more into like Warrant and Poison, Skid Row and stuff like that. And so I kind of went into some of the grunge stuff, kicking and screaming a little bit. Like, I don't like that first Pearl Jam album. Uh, <laughs> people may quit listening to us now. But uh, What are you I, just trying to make enemies here, David? <laughs> my buddy Michael and I were driving one night, and there was an, uh, a movie came out called Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And it had this just soundtrack. It had like ACDC, Tesla on it, oh. Def Leppard, Alice in Change, And it had two Alice in Change songs on it. And one of them was a song called What the Hell Have I. This song has yes. such a driving groove to it. I think it has like a, a sitar on it. And I was like, who is that? And my buddy Michael's like, it's a, it's a new Alice in Chains song. And I was like, like man in the box, Alice in Chains? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, man, that sounded anything like it. This is, you know, this is just really good. And so I went the next day and bought Dirt on CD, and I literally, I don't know if it came out of my CD changer for two years. You're talking about dark. This is one of the darkest records of all time. Basically, it's Lane Staley writing a love letter and then a breakup letter to heroin. Uh, It's stuff that he's actually going through. Whereas like Michael Anthony, I think, is like so responsible for the sound of Van Halen, Jerry Cantrell's backing vocals are just as big of a part of... Alice in Chains, it's Lane Staley, and Lane Staley is a powerhouse singer. And you had songs like Rain When I Die and Down in a Hole, and my favorite one on there is a song called Junkhead that's just disturbing, but it's just so heartfelt and real. And then 
you know, you have Them Bones and Damn That River and Angry Chair. And, of course, Wood was the big, that and Down on the Hole, I guess, were the two big songs off of it. And I have found over the, like, when Lane Staley died, it was a deal for me. It was a real big deal for me. You know, he just had such a sad ending to his life that for a long time, I didn't listen to it because in my mind, that album played out in real life. Right. And if you follow the logical conclusion of that album, it's what happened to Lane Staley. And what kind of got me back, I guess, starting to listen to it a little bit more was Jerry Cantrell's second album, Boggy Depot. It wound up being a double album. That came out, and I was kind of like a like a, a kind of a low point in my life. And for whatever reason, me and that album kind of bonded together. And a lot of that album is about Lane Staley, if you go listen to it. And it caused me to go back and listen to, to, to Dirt and just, you know, appreciate it for what it was. But I really at times have a hard time listening to it because of how Lane Staley's life played out. But the production value on this is so good. Of course, it was on Columbia Records. And there's the famous story of Janie Lane goes to Columbia one day and Warrant is the big poster in in the foyer. And he comes back the next day and it's Alice and Change Dirt. You know, just how quickly everything changes. But there's not a stinker on on this album. And uh, the production work is so good. I've interviewed Toby Wright on my um other podcasts and he he did the tripod album and jar flies and i think he was an audio engineer on this and i know he produced like what the hell have i and he just talks about what great guys they were you know and how much he enjoyed working with them but uh as from for the grunge era this has got to be a top three album that came out of all of that oh this album is absolutely fantastic you know it's funny you mentioned uh boggy depot because i love that record uh just as a side note i always i always have but I'm this, sorry, it's Degradation Trips, the one I was talking about. Oh, that was uh, the, yeah, no, the Boggy Depot was the first yeah, one. Yeah, Boggy Depot, yeah, I'm sorry, my bad. And it's 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 odd because Alice in Chains stopped being active around 96. But Lane Stanley didn't die until, it was uh, 99 or 2000, right? It was, the anniversary was like last week, I think. It was 2002, I know that for sure. It was 2002, yeah. yeah. So those, you know, they had a, a you know, a, quite a bit of time where they were just inactive and I know it was a, a labored, sad ending for him, and it's it's sad. And um, I mean, even on the on the tripod album, you know, Jerry Cantrell is carrying that album because he was in such bad shape. You can see it on the unplugged that they did. That Lane Staley was, you know, pretty frail, you know. But I mean, Dirt, probably their masterpiece. That's their black album, or their you know their. Um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic or something, you right. know, like it's just their that that was their pinnacle. I mean, as much as I like Sap and Jar of Flies, those were EPs. I mean, this is a full album without a like you said, without a bad track on it and and definitely stands as one of the top albums of that period of music. And it's a perfectly sequenced album, I think. Oh yeah. The sequencing adds so much to it. But uh let's see, my next one is one you listen to this podcast, you're probably all a big <laughs> fan of it too. Exile on Main Street. By the Rolling Stones.
it's one that I think when you listen to it, you have to listen to it from beginning to end. There's certain songs you can pull out, and if I heard them on the radio by themselves, eh. But in the in the order that they're played on this album, you listen to them all the way through, they add so much to it, which is just a stroke of genius. Basically, every form of American music just about is represented on here. It's this, To me, it's the Stones' love letter to America, Americana. It has a little bit of everything. Some of the tracks that you don't hear a lot of people talk about, like Let It Loose. Let It Loose is one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs. You know, Sweet Virginia, uh, Ventilator Blues, uh, Soul Survivor. You know, just a, an amazing an amazing work of art and an album in the truest sense. It's funny, you know, it's one of those albums that I, you know, I'll go away from for, for a while and come back. And, and what brought me back to it the most recent time was, uh, was the magpie salute covering, let it loose. It, it kind of let it loose was kind of a track that, you know, kind of slipped out of the forefront of my mind from that album because I, you know, there was so many others and it's a double record, you know, uh, I, I love casino boogie on this, uh, you know, um, Tumbling Dice, even though it's the big hit, that's a great, you know, uh, Rocks Off, the, the opener. Uh, obviously, uh, Torn and Frayed, Sweet Virginia. I like, I really like uh, Sweet Black Angel because I like the percussion on that. But and I did hear a thing, you know, an interview with Mick Jagger where he said, like, it's such a great record and people regard it so highly, but it's a lot of the songs are hard to pull off in concert. And that's why they don't hit a lot of that material, late, you know in concert more recently well i feel like he has this view that like when they play such big places that everything just has to be so upbeat and big and Mm -hmm. and i feel like on that stage he doesn't think the song can speak for itself like if you played sweet black angel in a stadium it would probably fall flat to be honest if you saw them like in a, a theater it would be great and i think that's what happens like torn and frayed and of course that's an amazing song but it's just not going to go over well in a football stadium with people that just want to hear absolute hits yeah and unfortunately that's the position they've put themselves in i mean not unfortunately for them they they make quite a bit of money but i almost would like to see them at at the i mean let's face it this is the tail i mean it's been the tail end of their career according to some people for the last 30 years but i mean i'd like to see them obviously they'd be winding down soon you know, do two weeks at a theater instead of all these stadium shows, exactly. and and, f- and figure out a way where people can't monopolize the tickets and buy for you know maybe you limit it to one or two nights, you know, a person, and so everybody gets to go. But so, but that you could see them in a in a setting that's not an arena. You know, it's 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 too much sometimes. I mean, they they have so much material that's taken off the table because it doesn't, like you said, translate to that stadium setting. You know. Number four for me is the album of all albums. It's the quintessential <laughs> vinyl. Is uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And all that you say, and all that you eat, 
massive Pink Floyd fan and this like Exile you put it on you just let it play all the way through basically it's one long song almost the way it all kind of goes in goes from one song in and out to the other one of the most perfectly recorded and produced albums it set the standard for a lot of albums that would come after it as far as like sound and recording techniques and uh, use of like uh, drum drum loops and um, you know in synthesizers and, and 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 it just blows my mind that the pen that put out Piper of the Gates of Dawn puts out this album because I do not like that early Pink Floyd stuff. I, I get on board at metal and mm. I think metal is where they started to figure out who they were and Dark Side of the Moon is when they perfected it. Started a run of Dark Side, Wish You Were Here, Animals and The Wall that are all classic albums. An amazing, an amazing band. The album cover, I think, is the greatest album cover of all time. Probably the most recognizable. The thing was on the charts for, gosh, was it like 10 years or yeah. something something like that? I mean, I can't imagine anybody listening to this hasn't listened to that album, but there's no way I could leave this one off. I, I would I would actually throw you one earlier and say that Adam Hart Mothers, when they started realizing the inklings of it, because there's a song on there called Fat Old Son. That, That's a great song. Yeah, and that kind of hints at the direction they were going but yeah i mean metal is definitely where they started that ball rolling and you know a lot of people aren't aren't familiar with and I, i'm assuming you're familiar with there's a i believe it actually was a soundtrack um it came out in 72 obscured by clouds some great stuff on there and then it's also another s- stepping stone into getting to dark side there's a there's a really great documentary uh i think it's a classic albums episode actually on dark side of the moon and, and that's fantastic you should anybody that has listened to this album and enjoyed it and not seen that really gives you some additional perspective on it. Yeah. It shows them in the studio making it and kind of mm-hmm. what, what all went into how they got those sounds, which at the time was groundbreaking. Uh, a oh, lot yeah. of people still do this day. All right. My last album is going to be cold roses by Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. There ain't nothing but the truth of the magnolia mountain where nobody ever dies. Steady your soul. was a sequence of albums he put out three albums in a year it was this jacksonville city nights and uh, 29 29 is kind of more laid back almost piano album uh this is technically a double album uh it's an amazing album cover 
when this came out, I, I was kind of, like I said, it was, I was kind of low point in my life. And for whatever reason, I remember one day I just, I got, I was a Whiskey Town fan and, and I liked Ryan Adams. And I got this and I put it on and I was just set in my recliner in front of the TV. And of course, it's the CD days and you had the remote, you know. And so I just let this thing play like four or five times all the way through. And then for about two years, this was always, it was always on my, on my list. There's a little bit of fluff in here. I think we could whittle it down to, to one album, but I think it's his most cohesive work. I think, I think it's his best work. Magnolia Mountain, Sweet Illusion, uh, Cherry Lane, my, um, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a Let It Ride. Just such a good album. And to me, it was kind of the sweet spot for, some of his like whiskey town stuff versus some of his more kind of eclectic stuff like he had on um love is hell and then of course after this album uh is when i think it's on this tour for this one i think it's technically like when neil casal got on board but uh man uh, i love it i listened to it all the way through the other day uh, it's a cool looking album and i think it's his best work i'm a big ryan adams fan i know he's got a lot of baggage right now and he's kind of in you know social time out but um one of the most prolific, I think he's a musical genius, but I think one of the problems is he's never had an editor and he's put out so much stuff and probably a third of it. Somebody probably needs to say, you might want to hold back on that one. Now he's got three more albums in the can ready to go. If he can ever get over his issues that he's got right now, which uh, I, I hope, you know, just from a human sake, I hope he pulls it together and releases those. But man, uh, I, I, this, uh, this is one, you can like put on, sit on your back porch and watch the storms come in, you know, and have you a good drink. But it's just, it's such a comforting album for me. Because of you, I've definitely become an appreciator of Ryan Adams. I'll be honest, I'm uh, not wholly familiar with this particular album. And I wasn't really familiar with his, his stuff prior to, to meeting you, David. So I thank you for that. But I'm still uh, working my way through it. But I mean, I, what I've heard is, is great stuff and and unfortunately because you know you mentioned his uh you know some of his behind the scenes problems he's been having and i've always been a big big believer right right wrong or indifferent that uh you know you kind of got to kind of try to separate the artist from the art you know and they they put out you know certain people put out records or or whatever you know books or whatever medium they might be involved in and you just kind of have to take it well. Like if you like that particular film or album or whatever, that's okay to like that, even if that person has done some dark things. I mean, obviously, certain things you can't get by. But yeah, it is so funny. Like I, it, that article came out, I think, on like February the thirteenth of last year. And I, the reason I know that I was driving something with my wife, and we were going out of town, and she knew I was a big fan of Ron Adams, and she opened her phone. She goes, "Uh oh." So she's not going to like this. So she read like the whole article to me and uh, I had this group text with my friends and I was like, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to uh, listen to him for a while. I think he's, I think he may have burnt some bridges just in the music industry over the years. And that may be why he's not, you know, he's having such a hard, I hope he comes back. Uh, he's a great follow on Instagram. He's been doing some great stuff during the quarantine. He's like covering songs like he did, um, He's been doing some really good REM songs. What did he do the other day? Oh, it was off Life's Rich Pageant. I'll forget. I'll remember it when we get done. But um, yeah, he's a good follow on Instagram. He's a big cat guy, Ian. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, he's all right by me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? 
Well, that's great, man. I, I really I liked your top five. I like doing this. I like really doing these bonus episodes, and I hope that our listeners are enjoying them. I know they, they go outside of what you normally come to us for, which is Black Crow's chat. And, you know, lest anybody think any differently, you know, this, this show is, uh, whether it be our proper episodes or these, these bonus ones, it's designed to be a conversation. And we're trying to bring you in on the conversation. So, you know, our opinions and our thoughts on things are going to come through. But uh, so we thank everybody that continually keeps uh, tuning in and giving us a listen. And uh, we'll be back with some definitely some more bonus episodes following this one. Can I do the play out? Oh, absolutely. I was actually going to throw it to you because I felt like you had something up your sleeve, David. So you go ahead. Off of the album Cold Roses by Ryan Adams and the Cardinals is the title track Cold Roses. Stay tall, everybody. Fortunate and angry, just like a child. 